Good morning, church. Good morning. My name is Mira, and I am the community director and the family ministry director here at Forefront. Um, now, Sarah, we are, today we're beginning our series on miracles, and Sarah just read the story of the woman with infirmity 18 years. But before I start to speak, I want everybody to stand up if you're able, and we're going to do a little exercise. We're going to imagine what it would be like to be this woman. So if you're able, I'd like you to start bending forward, curling from your neck down, curling forward, and stopping when your body is bent at the waist. Once again, if you are able. All right, how is everyone doing? Okay for now. Okay, so can you imagine this woman that we just read about saw the world as you see it now? So what do you see from down there? Pretty much just feet and ground, right? You can't really see me. You can't see the people around you. Um, if you. If you were surrounded by your loved ones, you couldn't see them. In fact, you probably wouldn't even be able to see your face in the mirror unless you were straining your neck. How are you doing there? Are we getting uncomfortable yet? So <laughs> you can't work like this. You can't imagine working like this. You can't cook like this. You can't change diapers like this. Don't try to walk down the stairs like this. I tried to walk upstairs, walking down, I nearly stacked it, so please don't try. <laughs> All right, very carefully, you can begin to curl your body up slowly, vertebrae by vertebrae. Torture's over, you may sit down now. <laughs> so we just took time to imagine what it would be like to be this woman, to see the world as this woman saw it. Now let's take a moment to imagine what would be like if you saw this woman on the street. What would you do if you saw her? Would you approach her, ask if she needed help? Would you ask how she was doing? You know, um, honestly, I would probably look the other direction. I'd probably pretend she wasn't there. I certainly wouldn't want to draw attention to her or stare at her, and I'm betting that's what most of us would do as well. Now let's imagine this woman at the synagogue that day. Had, how long has she been going to the synagogue for? Was she, had she been going even before her back started deteriorating? Had the congregants watched her Sabbath after Sabbath coming into the congregation, uh, coming into the synagogue, watching her back bow further and further forward? And were they like us, or like me rather, and not have struck a conversation with her or asked how she was doing? Would they, would they have just pretended that she wasn't there? Because I'm willing to bet that's probably what they did. But here comes Jesus, who sees her in a large crowd. Now, I want, <laughs> I want you to think for a moment, that's actually really hard to do. The synagogue was probably filled with a bunch of people. And the way that the seating arrangement was back then, it reflected so the social hierarchy. So women were probably more than likely gathered towards the back of the synagogue. And if they weren't towards the back, they, some commentary is right, that they had a whole different courtyard for themselves. So usually you'd have the more prominent members of society seated at the front and down the sides. You'd have the religious leaders, any um, important community members, and then all the commoners would be seated on the floor in the middle and gathered towards the back. So this woman, with her back hunched forward, was probably surrounded by crowds of people, but still Jesus sees her. And then Jesus does what most of us would feel uncomfortable doing. He calls attention to her. 
right in the middle of his sermon, in the middle of teaching, he calls attention to her and her ailment. And then he heals her, despite it being a Sabbath. And the religious leader at the synagogue is livid. And I, you know, I was reading this, I'm wondering, well, he can't be that surprised. It was Jesus. Jesus had already broken the law three times at this point. And at least that's what we know of because that's what Luke had written about. But, but it got me thinking, what is the big deal about healing on the Sabbath anyway? It's supposed to be a holy day, right? And it's also supposed to be a day of rest as per the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. So it got me thinking, well, let me do a little research. And so I did some research and I found that the day of rest, this observance of a day of rest was actually pretty unique to the Israelites in ancient times. It was rooted in the creation story, um, which as we know is when God created the world in six days and then on the seventh day rested. It was also rooted in their redemption from slavery by the Egyptians. So in observing a day of rest, what they were doing is they were remembering what their purpose was as God's creation, and also remembering their salvation from physical bondage by the Egyptians. It was a day to be released from hard labor. And some commentaries write that it was a gift from God, a gift where they could rest. So the religious leader was pretty annoyed that Jesus was going against that, was essentially taking away a day that had been given as a gift from God, a gift to rest. And so he says, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. So why didn't Jesus just wait another day? Why didn't he just wait another day to heal this woman instead of doing something to purposely irritate the synagogue leader? I mean, this woman had waited 18 years, right? What's another day to her? It's kind of like when you, um, when you call... Um, what's it called, like, like a helpline, not a helpline, like you call customer service. And then you get put on hold and they say, all our, all our uh, operators are busy at the moment, so we'll be with you shortly. And so shortly is what, like five minutes? And you think, okay, you know, five minutes go by. What's another minute? Then 10 minutes go by and you think, I've waited this long, it's okay. I can wait another minute. Then before you know it, you've waited 40 minutes. <laughs> And yes, I've done that. I have waited 40 minutes before, and I've thought, there is no way I am putting this phone down now. Yeah. Jesus was not going to let this woman wait another day because she had waited 18 years. 18 years had gone by without anyone taking notice of her. 18 years had gone by where the synagogue leader had done nothing for her. They had watched her walk in Sabbath after Sabbath for 18 years. They know how long she's been going. They know of her, of her ailment, but they had not deemed her worthy of their time, not even, not even on the Sabbath. And because of that, they devalued her. And they probably never had a conversation with her, maybe because they thought it was too awkward, but they didn't even know her name. Nobody else did. She was only known by her, her ailment. Women with infirmity, 18 years. That statement is way longer to say than a name, but no one wanted to know her personally. No one wanted to know her name because in knowing her, she would become visible. 
but to them she was invisible. They made her invisible and identified her only by her ailment. I mean, isn't that the real offense here? Shouldn't that have been the reason why the synagogue leader was angry? We'll come back to him later. But let's talk about this woman, because I have lots of questions. What is this ailment that has defined this woman? Now, the scripture says that the, she had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years, which had caused her back to bend forward so much so that she couldn't stand straight any longer. So, side note, there's probably a reasonable medical explanation for why she had her condition. Science and medicine have come a long way since then, and so right now, if we saw this woman, we'd, there would probably be some reasonable medical explanation for her ailment. But because that was not what it was understood as back then, it was attributed to as being some kind of spiritual bondage. But anyway, before that, at one point in her life, she stood as I stand before you today. She could look you straight in the eye. She could probably see herself in the mirror. I don't know if they had mirrors back then, but just work with me here. <laughs> she was able, she was healthy, she could communicate with people, but then something happened to her. Something happened that changed her life for the next 18 years. Something handicapped this woman and left her in this crippled state. Something so powerful that it changed this woman. It changed how she went about her daily ritual. It changed how she saw herself, how other people saw her. Now, I don't know how old this woman was, so this could have happened to her when she was a baby, or it could have happened to her as an adult. But whatever it was, it was so traumatic that she could no longer live the way that she used to. So, it got me thinking, how, how did this happen? Could it have been the result of illness? Could it have been abuse? Could she have endured years and years of abuse that had left her back crippled in such a way? Could it have been some kind of traumatic injury? Could it have been addiction? There might not have been mirrors back then, but there were certainly forms of substance abuse then. And then I wonder, had she even tried to stand up? Or was she busy nursing an injury and was too afraid of the pain to stand up? Kind of like, you know, when you sprain your ankle and then so you start limping, right? Because you don't want to put any pressure on that ankle because it hurts. And then that becomes your walk. What if this had become that woman's walk because she was too afraid to stand up? And then in doing so, she lost all hope of ever standing straight again and instead began to accept her injury. Now, this got me thinking about an injury that I had nine years ago. I have a prolapsed disc from uh, lifting twice my body weight under the supervision of a personal trainer. Um, I was egotistic, and so was he. And as a result, I gave myself a, an injury that affected my life forever. And it was pretty depressing at that moment in my life. I stopped doing all the things that I loved. I stopped dancing, I stopped training martial arts, I stopped lifting weights, and those things were actually part of my vocation. I was a personal trainer then. At that time, I lost a part of myself that I loved, a part of myself that I identified with. And instead, what happened is I began to identify with my injury. So when I'd go on the plane, I would ask for an extra pillow. 
because I have a back injury. Or if a friend asked me to move, I said, no friend, I can't help you move because I have a back injury. Eventually, I did start dancing again. Um, I was, uh, I'd started salsa dancing, and before a partner would come and ask me to dance, I'd say, oh, you know, please don't spin me too fast or dip me too low because I have a back injury. So I was bound by that back injury. Everything I did, all my experiences, every action I made was made, was done with my back injury in mind. So thankfully, I didn't have to wait 18 years to be healed. Um, what I had to do was step out of that fear and imagine that I could begin doing things as I had done before. And I did. I signed up for capoeira again, and so I started training again. I started weightlifting again. I started dancing again. And yeah, it hurts sometimes, um, but I'm back to doing the things that I love within limits. I may not be pain-free, but I'm no longer bound by that injury because I could imagine a life without it. But this woman could not imagine a life without her injury. Jesus had to do the imagining for her. When she went to the synagogue that day, she didn't go there seeking out to be healed like other people had done in the Gospels. Jesus sought her out. Jesus called out to her and said that she no longer had to be bound by her ailment or defined by it. She could be set free. And then in doing so, he is met by opposition by the synagogue leader, who is also bound, but not by something physical, like an, an ailment, but bound by his mind, bound by rules. The Sabbath day is a holy day, but this synagogue leader couldn't celebrate the fact that this woman had been miraculously healed because he was so bound by the law. He couldn't imagine behaving differently. He couldn't imagine the love of God operating differently. And Luke sets us up for this moment even before this in chapters before when Jesus talks about how the uh, Pharisees are being hypocritical for accusing him of breaking the Sabbath law, of uh, eating with sinners, for having his feet washed by a woman, a sinner. And then G Jesus goes one step further, and he sits the Pharisees down, and he calls them out and, and criticizes them. In chapter 11, verse 42, he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. Ouch! You neglect justice and the love of God. He's saying to them, what's the point in being so religious and giving a tenth of what you have if you're going to forget about the love of God, if you're going to forget the love that this woman deserved, if you're going to forget the justice that this woman deserved? He goes on further and says in verse 46, and you experts in the law, Woe to you. I love it when he says, woe to you. <laughs> because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Double ouch. Because that's exactly what happened in the synagogue that day. The religious leaders watched this woman walk into their synagogue, Sabbath after Sabbath, for 18 years, 
and did nothing, bound by and carrying the burden of their law, they lost sight of what this woman needed. Now listen to it carefully. Bound by and carrying the burden of law, they lost sight of what this woman needed. And then because they couldn't demonstrate what it looked like to serve this woman, nobody else did anything either. They all ignored her. Jesus recognizes this bondage, and he calls it out. He calls the religious leader a hypocrite. And the Greek translation of hypocrite is a stage actor, someone who pretends to be someone that they're not. So that day, the religious leader was not acting authentically as a religious leader because he couldn't recognize a moment to celebrate and praise God for a miracle because he was too bound for the right place and the right time for a miracle to occur. And he couldn't see past that. Now we here, we're not too different from these two people, both bound and burdened in different ways. You might be sitting here this morning and you might be struggling with some kind of chronic illness or chronic pain. Or maybe there's something else in your life that has caused you to double over and has prevented you from looking up and seeing, and you can't see straight anymore because of it. Maybe it's the pressure of your job or the pressure of school. Or maybe it's you're worried about your health or the health of a family member. Maybe you're struggling with addiction or fighting it, and, or fighting against it even, has taken complete control over you. Maybe you're struggling in a relationship or a marriage that you're desperately trying to keep together. Or maybe you're a parent desperately trying not to lose your mind. Perhaps it's more something that's external. It's not something that's external, but rather something internal. And you're carrying the heaviness of your emotions, and it's kept you looking down at your feet, that looking up and seeing hope just seems impossible. The heaviness of your depression is breaking you down, and you feel alone and invisible in your emotions. Maybe you're carrying trauma, a trauma that you haven't been able to heal from, a trauma that's changed you, that's changed the way you see yourself, changed how you see other people. Jesus sees you. Just like Jesus saw this woman, Jesus sees you and the burdens that you are carrying, whether it's illness, addiction, worries, anxiety, trauma. Jesus sees you, and Jesus is calling you. Just like Jesus called this woman in the crowd. Now, we don't know if Jesus used her name, but somehow, when Jesus called out to her, she knew that it was she that he was calling out to. Jesus calls her and gives her dignity back by healing her. And then he names her. He names this nameless woman a name that no other person has been called in the Bible before. Daughter of Abraham. He identifies this woman as belonging to a chosen nation a chosen tribe, which back, then, which back then meant that she was a child of God. He didn't stop loving her by healing her back. He gave her an identity. He gave her an identity and 
changed the way she and the people around her saw her in that moment. He changed the way that they saw her and he imagined what she couldn't imagine for herself. He saw her as a child of God. And he sees us in the same way as we are all sitting right here. Even if we're like the synagogue leader who doesn't, who doesn't want to look internally and face the fact that he too was bound. He sees the baggage that you're carrying. Some of us live our entire lives like that synagogue leader, so focused on living by certain rules, living by certain set of expectations, appearing as though we've got it all figured out. And we put that same pressure on other people. We think that as Christians, we can't have any imperfections. We place that pressure on ourselves and on other Christians as well. But that's a lie that has bound us and has kept us doubled over and has prevented us from seeing the true gospel message. Christianity isn't a quick fix. The church isn't a place where we put on a show and hide from our imperfections. It's the opposite. It's a place where we come and begin the work within. The Sabbath is a place, is a day where we should be able to come our most vulnerable and begin that work within so that we can bring shalom into our lives, so that we can bring kingdom here on earth. Rachel Held Evans, in her book, Searching for Sunday, Loving, Leaving, and Finding the Church, says it so clearly. The church doesn't offer a cure. It doesn't offer a quick fix. The church offers death and resurrection. The church offers the messy, inconvenient, gut-wrenching, never-ending work of healing and reconciliation. The church offers grace. Now, immediately after Jesus heals this woman, he describes the kingdom of God as being like a mustard seed that a man takes and plants in his garden and then grows into this tree where birds can come and hang out. And he even talks about the kingdom being like yeast that you have to work into dough. Who's worked with dough before, like baked bread? So it's really hard to work that dough, right? You've got to really work at it to knead it and get it just right to get all the air bubbles out. I don't know why that's important, but I did hear about it on the Great British Bake Off. <laughs> it's not easy. It's tough to work that dough. But when you put in the work, then what comes out is this full, lovely, delicious loaf of bread. Oh, sweet carbs. <laughs> For real. Can you imagine that kind of goodness in your life? Can you imagine living life differently? Can you imagine looking up and seeing that life didn't have to be the way that it's always been? Jesus sees you and calls you to imagine life differently so that you can be set on that path of healing and reconciliation and begin to experience the goodness of life, to ex begin to experience what it means to live life fully. Jesus calls you to imagine a life that's free from whatever burdens you, whatever keeps you from looking up, keeps you from being your true and authentic self, where whatever burdens you completely takes over you and becomes a part of you. We just celebrated the resurrection of Jesus only seven days ago. But can we believe, seated here today,
that we too can be res resurrected and begin to live the life that God intended for us. Jesus is calling you to stand up and be free to rejoice just like this woman did after she was healed. Free to love yourself, free to accept who you are, free to live in the mercy and the grace of your creator. Can you imagine what it would look like to live and walk in, that, in the truth of that? If you can imagine that, stand up, look up, and be free. And I'm aware that some of us might be sitting here right now and thinking, Mira, that was pretty heavy. I mean, we just went through Lent, just did 40 days of fasting, and now I'm feeling pretty good. I, I, I'm experiencing clarity. I feel resurrected. I'm not in the place that you're describing right now, which is fine. And if that's you, then I want to encourage you to see as Jesus sees. Because, and look around you. Look around you for community members who might be bound and burdened. Because when we see as Jesus sees, you are giving affirmation to those that are bound and burdened that they are indeed seen by God. You are part of their growth and you are part of that kingdom growth because this is how I imagine Forefront to be. It's like that kingdom tree that's grown with its branches out. Then birds come to just chill out because they've found home, they've found sanctuary, they've found refuge. You are very much a part of growing that tree. So will you partner with me in building and growing that kingdom tree for the bound religious leader, for the woman doubled over carrying her burdens, and for everyone else finding home and refuge. Let us pray. Dear God, I thank you for Forefront, a place that I've been able to call home for so long because I was that bound and burdened woman. I was that bound and burdened religious leader, but you created a home and a sanctuary for me where I could grow and community members that could see me and help me grow. And so I ask God that for um, people sitting here today that are bound and bur burdened, Lord, that can't see that life could be different, can't see that they could be set free from whatever is pulling them down. God, I pray that you give them a taste of what that looks like, a sense of what it feels like to be free from that. And for those of us that aren't in that place, I pray, God, that you use us, you show us how, how you, we can be used as vessels for your mercy and for your grace to show your love and your justice to our community members and to people outside these doors. In your name we pray, amen.